longer than that. If you've got a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to be going into Genesis 15, continuing our conversation through the book of Genesis. Not all the way through, just a couple more weeks. Um, lined it up well. You know, today we're looking at God's covenant with Abram, just what that means for us to trust in who God is in our daily lives. Um, next week, you know, is uh, Valentine's Day weekend. That's good stuff. Love and Valentine's and chocolates and I don't know who wrote the sermon series, but next Sunday, you can't make this up. I wrote the sermon series. Um, <laughs> I'm preaching on Sodom and Gomorrah. That sounds relaxing, right? Nothing says I love you like Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's go to church, babe, and just like rekindle the flame. And, but anyway, we, um, we don't uh, skip over anything in Scripture at this church. You know, we, we address and, and talk and naturally do everything out of love and grace, but we ground ourselves in the truth. Um, so I don't know if you're bringing chocolates next week or not. It makes me, it's always interesting how things happen. Um, in the last week, three different people have reached out. Y'all, I hadn't seen one of these guys in 12 years. And he messaged me on Facebook and said, man, can't wait to next Sunday. We're coming to Madison. going to go to church. Just can't. It's been so long since we've heard, you know, heard you, you preach. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah is a party. <laughs> so, anyway, so we'll see if he comes back after that. But um, we are today in Genesis chapter 15. Um, as you're turning there, um, Genesis 15, I want to let you know, yesterday we had the chance, and a few of our praise team members were there, um, to gather from the memorial service of Bob and Evelyn Beeland. That's Jay Beeland, who oftentimes plays the drums for us. Great guy. Um, both of his parents did a memorial for both. Um, they passed away just within weeks of one another, back in December. Um, and from everyone I met yesterday, from one girl who was probably 15 or 16, who said... Um, they would still come because both of her grandparents had passed away on Grandparents' Day and would come to her school, is, there, is her like fill-in grandparents, um, to a guy that was well into his 90s that said, man, I didn't really go to church a whole lot, but when I met Bob in the 50s, he just lived out the presence of Jesus in front of me. It was so real to him. So it was neat, one of those couples, and you didn't hear one name without the other oftentimes. Um, and I haven't asked Jay this yet. I said it first service. So we'll say it again. I think I'm going to get Jay on stage just to share some of his story because it's amazing. Like he's telling stuff. And he's such a natural. Yesterday I looked at him. Two things I thought. One, you just look more natural than I do when you're preaching. And two, he just is. Like it was just beautiful. Um, but one of the things the pastor, I just I was able to read scripture and to pray. But the pastor that they had for a few years at First Baptist Greensboro. Um, shared the message, and, and one of the things he shared just really stuck out to me, not just about them, but even for me and for, for our message today, because he was talking about the power of a name, you know, how you can just say someone's name, whether you like them or not, if you know of that name, it brings about thoughts and feelings inside, you know, like you're going to experience things just because of the name of the person that shared with you. And he talked about how Bob and Evelyn always went together, like it was just a good, consistently, one of the few folks that, as far as we know, most people said, man, I, man, I just really liked that couple. But then he shared a word about why he thought they were so impactful for the kingdom, and it was this. He said, for Bob and Evelyn Beeland, their name didn't compare to the name of Jesus that they consistently shared with other people. They wanted to live out the presence of Christ and share the good news of who God was through Jesus with others. And I want all of us to know and acknowledge and celebrate that today. We're getting some good stuff. This is a good story we're talking about this morning, and I pray that it'll speak to you. I mean, it is for real. been speaking to me this last week. But before we get into the scripture, y'all, I want you to know that we do believe in this place, that we have a God who knows us by name and has done everything in his power to gain access to be right where we are, 
doesn't matter if it's been the best of weeks or the worst of weeks. He meets us where we are, and he promises to answer us when we call on him. So, if you know him well, talk to him during the service. Continue to get to know him. If you don't know him well, man, our prayer for you is that through this, something we've sang or preached or taught or a cup of coffee, like one of the 400 cups of coffee that were served today, it's somewhere in there, that you would sense something inside. We're trusting that's the Lord calling you into himself, saying, I want to know you, um, because you are a child of the living God. Um, as we read this together, I have three things I want to share with us just a little bit. First, the catch-up between last week and this week, all right? The scripture moves quick. Not a lot of details in the in-between. So Abram and his wife Sarai, later names changed to Abraham and Sarah, get a call from God to pick up and move. We talked about that last week, just a few chapters before this one. So in between the first uh, chapter 12 and here, Abraham, Abram and Sarah pick up, they move uh, to the, the land that God had promised them. The next verse right after it says, a famine set in, they had to move to Egypt. They go to Egypt and on their way to Egypt, Abraham freaks out. This is how I read the Bible, just so you know, when I'm reading this stuff, these are real people living real lives. Abram is on his way to Egypt. He's kind of freaked out a little bit because there's a Pharaoh in Egypt who's really powerful and his wife is extremely attractive according to the scripture. So Abram looks at his wife Sarai and says, attractive wife, you have to tell them you're my sister or the Pharaoh is going to take you from me. She's 65 at the time. The craziest part is she actually was part of his, like, his half-sister. A whole other sermon for another day. It's a different thing. So they do that, and then the Pharaoh has a revelation from the Lord that this was a sister. He comes back, gives the wife. He's like, I don't want to have anything to do with your family. Y'all just go do whatever you need to do. Abram and Sarah come back out of Egypt. They move to a place called Negev, which is a desolate kind of area, right? Not a lot of landscape that's green. Well, he's got his nephew Lot with him, who we don't know as far as I know. I don't think. I should have studied more like why Lot is with Abram at this point, but Abram has become part of his household. They get to this mountaintop kind of thing, in my mind, and they look out, and Abram's like, all right, uh, which way you want to go? Because we can't all raise all of our crops and, and herds off of just one piece of land anymore. So Lot looks out, and he's like, mm, that looks greener. I'll go that way. That's the Sodom and Gomorrah side. So that's next week for Valentine's Day, and you're going to be loved. Abram went the other direction to get even crazier, War breaks out in the Sodom and Gomorrah kind of region. This is, this is the Bible, right? This could be straight Braveheart gladiator kind of stuff. Abram gets word that his nephew Lot has been kidnapped by some bad king from Sodom and Gomorrah area. So he gets 300 guys together and they'll go out to start taking people out until they rescue the boy and bring him back. It's pretty good stuff. And then we get to this chapter where God makes a covenant with Abram. What's a covenant? To me, it's an eternal promise. That's more than just like, hey, I think we're going to do this. That's a, no, no, if we break this, somebody's got to pay for it. And he gives a covenant with Abram that impacts all of us even today. Three things I want us to get out of this that have been speak, spoken, I think, to me this last week from this passage. The first is this. We are counted as righteousness when we believe. All right? We are counted as righteousness when we believe. We're about to read some verses, and you'll see in there, Abraham was counted as righteousness when he believed. Does anybody have a definition for righteousness? I know there's a few hundred people. We had over 500 again today. I know there's a few people here. What's that? To be right with God. To be made as righteousness, you are being made right with God, which is a big deal because God is holy and perfect and just and pretty set apart from everybody else. The Scripture says that we are made as righteousness when we believe, all right? 
So if you've been a Christian since, like, I don't know, I was raised in a Christian household. Before I was born, my mom would go to Christ, the breakfast at church, and they would say, like, Danny's been going to church since before he was even here because he was in the womb going to church. And I was born, they put me in the bread basket for the men's brotherhood kind of stuff. Like, it's just, this has been my life. And I love it, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. One of the things I've struggled with is a guy who's grown up in the church and grown up in Christianity is that there have been times in my life where I have been tempted to think that the good things I am doing will gain me righteousness towards God. All right, like the memory verses, which are important. Going to church, I think is very important. Serving other people, extremely important. But none of those things make me right with God. Those are almost like the fruit of becoming right with God. What makes us right with God is believing in Jesus, is believing in him. A couple weeks ago, I heard a, I don't know, it was a message. I don't know where it came from. It, was, it wasn't like an audible voice, don't worry. But it was like a, I don't know, it was a devotion or something. But it really struck me because it said, could some of us be so, could some of us be so busy serving the kingdom that we experience times of missing out on being in the presence of the king? Did y'all, I hope I said that right. Could some of us be so busy serving and growing maybe the kingdom that we get distracted from sitting in the presence of the king? And that hit me. If you look up in the balcony, there's some kids up there. Y'all look lovely from here. I can't really see you, so you could look awful. I don't really know, but you do. I'm trusting you look lovely. God bless. But no, if you look to the left, there's a wall there. There wasn't a wall there last week. We built a wall. Why? We got People are sitting in the balcony now. I love that. It's fun. My kids saw the wall. First comment from the preacher kids was, I thought we were building a church somewhere else. I was like, I know we're, we're working on that. Like we, we got to find a place where people here, you know, we're a year away from a year and a half. We're figuring that stuff out. So no matter if you're a preacher or a teacher or a mom or a dad or a Sunday school teacher, hear this. I, I don't know why I'm saying that. Please hear this. This has been on my mind. I'd never want any of us to get so busy serving the kingdom that we miss out on opportunities to sit in the presence of the king we got a lot of Mary-type folks in this place, servants of the Lord, who go and go, Martha, excuse me, go and go and go and serve and serve and serve. And I love that. That's my DNA. I want to do it. But this is confession time. I have missed out on top opportunities throughout my life where I know the Lord may have now been saying, hey, just sit down for a second. Spend some time with me. So I don't know where you are. All I know is I can say there are times where I go, but Lord, I'm doing so much good. Not being pious. You don't get pious and holy. But like, Lord, I'm trying to serve you. Build walls. Find new chairs. Get new stuff. Keep stat. Like all these things. We're trying to do all this stuff. Grow. Hire. Build. When maybe all the while the Lord is whispering in there, oh, we're going to do all those things and they're going to be good. But right now, for a few moments, I need you to sit in my presence and remember who you are to me. I need to check my heart at times to make sure in my mind it's a big head. My sons also made fun of that last week, but it's not, not for Sunday morning story. In my mind, I have to be careful not to fall into temptation, even though I've known and followed the Lord for a long time, to thinking, Lord, I know you just want me to do some more stuff for you. He does want us to be servants. But first, he wants us to believe in him. So we have to ask ourselves, Lord, am I balancing that well? The scripture says in Genesis 15, verses 1 through 7, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue 
childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. <laughs> Abram didn't have any kids. And a member of my household will be my heir. Because God said he's going to make him a nation and have all these kids. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, talking about Eliezer, his nephew, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Abram. And he brought him outside. This is good to me. Underline it in my Bible. God brought him outside. Now, they lived in like tents. They didn't have to go very far. They brought him outside and said to Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord. He believed the Lord. And he, God, counted it to him as righteousness. And he, God, said to him, Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. We are counted as righteousness when we believe. Just this last week, I wrote this sermon at night. I usually don't write sermons at night because, just being honest, usually nighttime sermons are more negative than morning sermons. It's just how I work. I don't know how that happens. If it's written between 7 a.m. and noon, it's going to be pretty good. If it's written like after the sun goes down, it's going to be a little harsher. You know what I mean? So this one so far, if we're only in the first point, is okay so far. But I wrote this in the evening because it's just been, it's been a full week. Like we had, we had a lot of things going on. So I finally sat down. I was like, you know what? We're going to do this. Kids are out there watching VeggieTales or something because we don't. <laughs> Does anybody here still watch VeggieTales? Who grew up watching VeggieTales? I did too, and we were better for it. My kids made fun of me for that this week, but it's okay. I'm harsh on them. That's why it's a negative sermon this week for them. They're actually playing the Nintendo Switch because we're just really godly like that. But I was in the office, and I was writing this. If you've ever been to our house, and we need to have more, we'll have more people over to our house soon, but it's, it's beautiful, but it's not, it's not like a mahogany desk. or I mean, it's just like an Ikea desk. It's simple. It's simple and I have books. I don't have a bookshelf. There's books and on the cardboard box on the floor. And if I can be honest with you, some people are new and you're like, what is he talking about? Just hang with me. I, if I can be honest with you for a second, I was in a moment and just talking to the Lord and I was reading these verses and I had gotten through, we'll put those verses back up, Ms. Brenda, that second part where it says he looked up to heaven. And, and I, was, I was getting into this and I was just talking to the Lord and it's been good, but go, you know, we've had a lot of funerals in the last couple of weeks. Like, nine of them and sometimes it's just you know you go wow that's a lot that's a lot of hurt so I was talking to the Lord and, and I was there and my man Jeff Rogers sent me a text message he doesn't usually send me text messages at nighttime, but he did the night, that night and his text simply said man I'm thankful for you just wanted to check in you okay and it was good I was really feeling pretty good so I started texting back and forth I was like yeah man I'm writing the sermon he says it's nine o'clock and I was like I know it's gonna be hard but we're gonna do this and I read the next verses, and I started texting the sermon to Jeff because it was just flowing. And I even told him, it's going to flow better now on this text thread than it will on Sunday morning. But I read the very next verse as I was texting Jeff where the Lord said to Abram, come outside, look up toward the heaven, and start counting the stars. And it just hit me, y'all, as if the Lord himself was saying to me, why don't you go outside and count the stars for a little bit? You think you're in control? You ever tried counting the stars? 
There's a lot. You think God was laughing at some point when he was like, why don't you count the stars for a little bit? And Abram, you think Abram did? Like one, um, two, three, four. He went outside and started counting. What did the Lord say? It's too many to count. You can't do it. Why? We have machines from NASA now that are still counting stars. It's impossible for humans to count. They're just finding new ones all day, every day. Why would the Lord call Abram outside of his tent to look up at the stars and start counting? I believe because he was reminding Abram to get back into his place. And saying, Abram, even in times of life, when you don't know like where you're going to put people, or how you're going to pray for property, or what the square footage of a building should be, even though you don't know how the relationship's going to end up or where the finances are going to come from. Even though you don't know, and we're talking to people right now who are praying to just have one more day. We got one guy, and he's four weeks clean, praying for one more day. Lord, give me one more day to stay sober. If you don't know if you have the strength to get through another day, they're very likely, the people that are in this room and hearing online right now are looking at some type of situation in front of you that is statistically an improbability for you to navigate through it in a positive way. Maybe other people in your life are saying something to the effect of it's not possible to heal or restore this relationship. It's not possible to stay clean or sober. It's not possible to get a better job or whatever else it may be. All the while, maybe the Lord is whispering to some of us, why don't you come outside and count the stars? Try to count them. And Abram did. And what does Abram say? I can't. And what does God say? I know. But Abram believed. In the midst of the counting, y'all, he believed. In the midst of not knowing all the answers, he believed. In the midst of other people, very likely, saying, what are we going to do? Abram and Sarah are like the mother and father of the Old Testament church. I am God, the father of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think they're real people. If you've ever been married, I mean, in this culture, if you didn't have children, it was because God was mad at you. You think Abram and Sarah had had a few conversations of, why Why us? Everybody else is getting kids. Everybody else is getting raises. Everybody else is thinking, everybody's got grandkids by now, Abram, and we're still doing our thing. Why would God allow that to be in Scripture? I think it's because he wanted all of us to see that sometimes we need to take time to go outside and count some stars. Take time to go outside and say, Lord, in the midst of this impossibility, I'm still going to believe. Why? Because I got it all figured out? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm believing you on your word and your promise because everything else in my life tends to go one way or the other. Is now he said in communion thought, this word will last forever. Lord, what am I building my life on? While looking up at the night sky, in spite of all the obstacles, Abraham believed. And God counted him as righteousness for it. Y'all, believing in God, believing in Jesus makes us righteous. Not the good things that we do. But we can't stop there. You know what the scripture says about the devil and the demons? Guess who they believe in? Jesus. Now, he's not their Lord, but they acknowledge that he's real. Most non-Christian historians believe in Jesus. He was a historical figure that lived. So just to simply say, yeah, I think Jesus was a real person. That's not the type of belief we're talking about. We're talking about taking it deeper and saying, no, no, I want to believe so much that I could look to my left or my right and say, Lord, you are here with me in the midst of this. Abraham didn't have it all figured out, but he chose to believe. On the way to church this morning, my kids, how many kids? We got three, but like in the back seat, there were two because we had men's breakfast. Biggest men's breakfast crowd we've ever had. It was fantastic. French toast. And the boys were in the back seat with me. Shantz was with Caroline. And the birds. Have you ever noticed the birds in Morgan County? Okay, forgive me. Does anybody know what type of birds those are? 
Me either. They're, they're little blackbirds. I don't know. That's all I got. Like the, but they find these flock. I mean, just thousands and thousands of them. They swarm. And on the way on the interstate, just this morning, both the boys in the backseat saw the birds, about 20, and they said, man, look at the birds. Who else said that in the scripture? Y'all remember? His name was Jesus. When his friends came to him and said, Lord, what are we going to do? The world is crazy. You remember what Jesus' response in some of those moments were? Well, let's just look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. Don't you think there were times when some of the disciples said, no, don't look at the birds. Like, look at this. Look at the bills, Jesus, you know? Where are we going to put people? How are we going to feed them? There's too many kids around here. The disciples said that. I'm not saying that. The disciples, they're saying these things. What does Jesus say? Why am I going to worry about this stuff? Look at the birds of the air. They're not making investments or wise plans for the future, and yet God provides for them every day. Does God want us to make investments and plans for the future? Absolutely. But he doesn't want us to get lost in the not knowing. He wants to declare us to declare our belief in him in the midst of it. Which is why I believe one of the greatest questions a follower of Jesus can be asked is, give me a reason for the hope that you have. Give me a reason for the hope that you have. When everything else around you is going in different directions, when everyone else around you is focused on the number of stars and how they can't count them, when everyone else around you is lost in the details of the political system or the economic system or the business sector or whatever, how can you stay active with that and still stay focused on trusting the Lord at his word? The second thing, we will have questions. We will have questions. This is a simple one. We will have questions. In Genesis 15, 8, Right? The Lord says to Abram, he counts him as righteous. It's like one of the, do you imagine if God spoke that over you? Like, I'm counting you as righteousness because of your faith in me. Abram's response to that was, yeah, that's cool. How, how are we going to do this? Right? Why would God allow that in the scripture? Why didn't Abram drop to his knees and say, holy, you know, because he was a real person. Say, no, Lord, I believe in you, but I'm struggling. Like, I don't know how we're going to get from here to here. And what does God do with him? He continues the conversation. Why? Because he's one of his children. I have come to the Lord with very difficult questions throughout my life. Sometimes I've gotten an immediate answer and some answers I still haven't gotten, but I believe him at his word still. God calls us to come into his presence with the questions. Be honest with the questions that you have. Be honest with any of the doubts that you have. But I encourage you, don't stop following in the midst of it. It's all movement. I don't know. I'm not on social media a lot where Christians from the 90s are now telling me like why I'm not in church anymore, why I don't believe anymore. And I keep getting emails and people say, hey, this is fun. I was like, yeah, it's not me, but we're trying. Do I think that God wants us to ask tough questions? 100%. Or we got to struggle with our doubts? 100%. But he never says drop everything and sit in that while you figure it all out. He says, continue to follow me. Continue to bring your questions. Continue to surround yourself with wise counsel, other people that can help you answer these things. Abram said, Lord, how are we going to do this? You ever had a moment like that where you sit back and go, how in the world are we going to get through this thing? Anybody? Yeah, if you have children, just raise your hand for a second. If you have any children, just raise your hand. That's a lot of us. Y'all tired? You know, like some of your kids are grown. You're more tired than the kids that are young. You're like, no, we're tired. You remember the first, if you, if you had more than one or if you just got the one kid, that first one, you, it, it surprised me of how little you have to do for a doctor to go, yeah, you're cool. Take this kid with you. Go home. Have fun. I, I, there's no test. There's nothing. They, they don't even inspect the car seats. Like, we were nervous. They didn't even check them. They, they send you home with a kid. Our oldest is now 10. 
if you can think back with me all that with kids, you remember what that was like when you got in the car for the first time with a baby in the back seat? What? You know, like, what are we doing? How are we going to pay for this? I don't know. We didn't have insurance when we had one of our kids. We had no clue. And yet it was provided for. We're asking tough questions along the way. But y'all, I don't want any of us to get distracted with the difficulties in front of us that we miss out on the blessings that are all around us. To say, Lord, I got some questions. I don't know how we're going to get from here to here, but I'm going to believe you on your word in the midst of it. I'm going to trust that you were with me. Keep asking the good questions. Abram himself did it. He believed, but he needed some details. If you find yourself doubting God, be like the man in Mark 9 when his kid was sick and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, I can heal this boy. All you got to do is believe. And the man said in Mark 9, 24, he said, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. He was struggling. He was conflicted. He said, I believe, but I'm also struggling. To me, that's one of the greatest reasons to have church in our lives is to get around a bunch of other people. He said, no, we believe, but we're struggling sometimes to commit to believing together that God is who he says he is and he's done what he's promised to do. The third and last thing I want us to get from this passage. We have a covenant because God did everything on our behalf. We have a covenant with God because God did everything on our behalf. Now today, we can come into covenant because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. All right, And I don't think this verse is on the screen, but in Hebrews 9, 15, it says this. Therefore, talking about Jesus, therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. All right? So Jesus is the new covenant. So in this church, we teach that you believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Scripture says if you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. The faith in Christ, the belief in Christ is it. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, which means we're no longer under the old covenant that we're about to talk about here, which is pretty impressive because the old covenant was a lot more gruesome for the folks that were involved with it. In Hebrews 15, verses 9 through 18, the Scripture says this. God said to him, said to Abram, he's getting ready to do this covenant thing. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he, Abram, brought all these things. He cut them in half, and he laid half on one side and half on the other side. So he's cut up animals, a lot of blood. Abram had to cut them up himself, very likely had blood on his own hands, and he laid them out on this path. But he didn't cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses of the dead animals, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, which is beautiful to me. God's getting ready to make a covenant with him, but he lets him fall asleep before he makes a covenant with him. Why would God do that? One, the last time we read this phrase, a deep sleep fell upon him, was when Adam fell into a deep sleep and God took a rib from Adam's side to make Eve. God was making something new and in the process allowed Adam to sleep through it so that Adam could just wake up and receive the gift of it. Here it's the same. Abram falls into a deep sleep and God does the heavy lifting as the sun was going down. The next verse says, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring 
will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. I don't know if Sarah was taking notes here, Abram said, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. That's just a good word from the Lord to Abram there. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark. That's important to note that darkness had fallen upon the earth. That's what's up. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the two pieces of animals on each side. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Let's look at that verse in verse 17. It says, when the sun had gone down, darkness fell on the land. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, some of us might read that and go, what does that have to do with anything? Throughout the Old Testament, when God was leading the people, he was usually leading them by some form of light. Flaming pot, flaming torch, a presence of light before them. The scripture is telling us here that God himself chose to walk through the pieces of the animal to make a covenant with Abram. Why is that important for us? In Abram's day, ancient covenant making almost always took place between a leader and a servant, oftentimes a king and a servant. Typically, the servant would be challenged with walking through the cut-up animals, making a promise to the leader that if the servant ever broke the promise, ever broke the covenant, he would end up like the animals on each side of the way, saying, if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, then I am responsible to you, and I deserve death itself. Occasionally, the king would walk through with a servant, as the servant also took on this challenge. But here, for the first time in history, The king walked through the animals alone. Why is that a big deal for us? Abram was asleep when it happened. I personally like to think that one of the reasons Abram was asleep is because God didn't want Abram to even be tempted to think he could do this thing by himself. To know that our God, if you believe in Christ, your God chose to walk through this alone so that anyone who believed in him could never say, well, if I just tried harder, if I just reached more, if I just memorized more, he said, no, 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 I'm going to own this for both of us. God chose to own it for him and Abram, knowing that one day it would be broken. But God loved us enough to fulfill his promise, which is why a thousand or so years later, God sent his one and only son, whose name is Jesus. God didn't send a prophet in the desert that had a vision. He sent himself. Why? He was fulfilling the covenant to live a perfect life. Never did anything wrong at the end of his life to be tried and crucified on a cross like a common criminal. You remember, criminal. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Eden right before the, the soldiers came to arrest him? What did Jesus say? He's in the middle of prayer. He said, Lord, let this cup pass. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. What does the Lord say? There's no other way. We've got to fulfill what we've said. We've got to do this. And what does Jesus say? In my translation, he goes, let's go. Let's go. Why would he say that? Because he knew that Danny Wayne Harold Jr. wasn't going to be able to do it by himself. He knew that Abraham wasn't going to be able to do it by himself. And you wouldn't be able to do it by yourself. God showed up and walked through alone. 
taking the promise and responsibility for both parties on himself. Promising to bear, to bear the burden if either broke the covenant. You want to change your life? You want to experience true success? Then say this throughout the week. God did this for me. He did this for me. What happened when Jesus was on the cross? Darkness fell across the earth. God did this for me. Because he sent Jesus to fulfill this covenant. He made with Abram by dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Abram cost God everything. I cost God everything. You cost God everything. So if you are in a place in life right now, or you have been recently, or sometime it's going to I would love to tell you, that, like some preachers that I believe are just false prophets, I would love to tell you right now that if you just put your trust in Jesus, your bank account's going to overflow. If you just trust in Jesus, sickness will never touch you. Do I believe that God can heal in Jesus' name? 100%. Can I predict that and prophesy that over your life? Absolutely not. Why? Because God never says he's going to do those. He says what? He'll never leave us or forsake us. He says, I'm going to fulfill this covenant so that anyone who believes in me will always have me. So if you're in a place in life where you think you're starting to say something like, I can't do this on my own. You know, if you're in a place in life where you're looking up at the stars at night, Lord, I can't count these stars. There's too many stars to count. To know that maybe the Lord is saying to you this morning, I know you can't, and that's exactly where I want you. So that when we get to a place where we say, Lord, I can't do this, and he says, I know, but I can to me, that's when the Spirit of God is ready to move. So if you feel like you're saying that, don't stop there. You weren't created to do this on your own. You were created to believe that God has already done everything in his power to gain access to you for all of eternity. Do you believe this? Do you believe it? It'll change your life. Do you believe it? I believe that right now, and I wish I could be like, Jesus, walk in. Wouldn't that be fun? If I was like, oh, Jesus, come and join us. for it. That would be so good. But I believe with all of my heart that if Jesus himself, and y'all, I've shared this in sermons recently and funerals. I've, there have been times in my life with Jay Beelan's mom and dad, Shanti, we prayed here. And we prayed up front. And she said, I want to pray over y'all. And I was like, this is good stuff. You ever had a prayer where in the middle of the prayer, you're scared to open your eyes because you're like, if I open them, Jesus is going to be standing there. You know, like it's so real. You're so lost in it. And I'm like, oh, and I get overwhelmed with it. I'm like, this is good. And if you haven't had it, pray it more. Y'all, like it'll change your life. God doesn't want us to just pray over the meals and go, God is great, God is good. Although those are fun. And my kids fight about which meal. And Luke, Nathaniel, Caroline does breakfast. Luke does lunch. And Nathaniel does dinner because they fight. But like, I don't want us to, I want you to get lost in the prayers I want us to get lost in them because there's nothing like that feeling inside, y'all. When sometimes I'm praying, I'm pouring my heart out. I'm like, God, if I open them, there's no one going to see you. But so far, at the end of every one of those prayers, I've opened my eyes. I've seen other people, and you're fine, but you're not Jesus. You know, you're like, okay, we're still here, and this is okay. But I believe that one day I'm going to pray a prayer like that, and I'm going to open my eyes and see Jesus standing in front of me. I believe in this moment, if Jesus himself chose to walk through that door, I'd fall flat on my face, and I wouldn't know what to say to him overwhelmed. And I think he might let me sit in that for a little bit because he knows me. And we've talked about that. Maybe like, yeah, you should. 
But I believe with all of my heart that at some point in there, Jesus would put his hand, and this is in my mind, I've had conversations with him about it. He'd put a hand on my shoulder and say, son, stand up. You know? And he'd say, you were worth it. <laughs> right? Like, you were worth it. As he was dying on the cross for the sins of the world, I believe that Jesus was saying, that little baby is worth it. She was worth the kingdom. You were worth the kingdom. You were worth a seat at his table. You had a seat at his table. And not only that, he said, no, no, I'm going to do it all. Because you're going to mess up and you're going to fail and you're going to scrape your knee and you're going to sin. But I won't sin, Jesus says. So he says, put your trust in me. And not only that, I'm going to go back to where I came from and I'm going to set you up a seat right next to me at the dinner table. So that one day when you walk through the doors of the kingdom, I can say, babe, come here. I got you a seat right here at the table. I want him to look at us and say he's proud of us. And to say that he loves us and say that he knows us. The only way to do that, the only way to experience that is to believe in him. To believe in him now. Don't miss out on an opportunity to believe in the Christ that we're going to have a chance to worship for all of eternity. Trust in him today. For the scripture said, in our belief in Christ, we are made righteous. And he offers that invitation to all of us all the time. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your promises to meet us where we are, to do the things in this world that we can't do on our own. God, I thank you for being a heavenly father that loves your children. Lord, I thank you for sending Jesus to fulfill this promise you made with Abram and to give us a new covenant in him. God, you know me. You know my heart. We're trying to do things right. I think all of us are trying to do good things and trying to be good people. But Lord, you know our minds and you know that we we can't do good all the time. And I am thankful that our faith teaches that, we're, that you know that. And, which is why Jesus did come and did good things all the time. So that anyone, Lord, anyone who says, God, I believe in Christ. He is my defender. He is my savior. He is my king. Anyone that says, I'm deflecting to him because I can't do this by myself. Lord, that confesses him as Lord and believes in our hearts that you've raised him from the dead. Lord, we'll be with you forever. I thank you for that chance, for that invitation. I thank you for fulfilling both sides of this promise for me and for all of us. God, I pray for us today as we're getting ready to sing this next. It's beautiful, goodness of God. I just pray that we're overwhelmed with your goodness. But Lord, I've been overwhelmed at different times in my life. And you know that. You are there. You heard those tears, man. You heard that stuff. But Lord, you always have placed people around me to pray with me and to remind me that you didn't actually create me to count every single star. That it's okay sometimes to just sit and say, Lord, all I've got is my faith in Christ. Lord, if there's anybody in here or hearing these words that's struggling with being overwhelmed with any situation, may we as a church family love them well today. If they need to come up front and pray at the altar or talk to somebody on the way out the door, I don't want anybody to leave this place feeling as if they're overwhelmed with what life's bringing because this life can be overwhelming. But Lord, I want all of us to walk out of this place knowing what we believe and knowing who we believe. Lord, if there's anybody here that has never trusted Jesus for the first time as their Lord and Savior, let today be the day. They don't have to come to an altar. They can and talk to me or somebody, but Lord, they can do it right where they're sitting by simply saying, Lord, I believe in Jesus Christ. I confess my sins. Lord, I want to follow you. 
I want to live with you forever. Start that conversation with the Lord. If somebody needs prayer, the altar's always open. We'd be happy to meet them here and pray. Lord, remind us of your goodness. Not just because of the things that you've given us, but you've given us some really good things. As we sing these next words, Lord, remind us, remind us of who you gave. Lord, you gave Jesus himself, who is alive today. Lord, I want to sing to him. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Why don't you worship with us, church family, this morning?